This morning we are completing our series on um, the All Invited, the book of Revelation. We are beginning next week a series called Grounded, and Grounded is a whole series, um, I talked about it last week, but I want to remind you and encourage you to invite folks along. We're going to be walking through the geography of um, the scriptures. And we're going to be looking at various places where um, big events happen, important events, and not just try to understand um, what those places look like and sort of get an idea of their physical presence, but also get a real idea of their spiritual power in um, the the plan that God has for his people. And so we're going to spend some time, um, actually from uh, next week all the way through Easter, we're going to complete um, uh, that series by spending time in the Passion Week and looking at um, the geography of where Jesus was when all these really important things were happening. So that starts next week. We encourage you to invite people along with you, friends or neighbors who are trying to understand better what Scripture is all about and whether or not it's something that they can believe in. Because as we look at these sorts of things from Scripture, we understand more what God is doing, what God did in Scripture, and why he did what he did in the places that he did them. So come uh, next week, we'll start that and invite a friend along. This morning, we're going to be spending time in Revelation chapter 22. If you want to find it in your scriptures, just turn to the back. It's the absolute last passage of the scriptures in your Bibles. And we're going to jump into um, Revelation chapter 22, 12 through 21, and learn what God has for us there as we begin that. Let's pray together that God might be present. Father, We thank you so much for the power of your word. And that, Lord, uh, through this series in Revelation, you have spoken to us um, about our present, about our past, and also, Lord, about our future. And, Lord, as we dig in this morning to this passage, Lord, may we grow in our understanding. May we um, also gain a level of anticipation. There's so much beauty ahead for God's family. There's so much beauty ahead that you are right now putting together for us. You're arranging the party. You're arranging the place, the venue. You're arranging your people in such a way that we can look forward to an eternity of joy in your presence. We pray, Father, this morning for those who are here wondering what this all means, who don't know you and seek, are seeking you and they're seeking you with their heart. Would speak to their hearts in such a way that the truth might become clear, the truth of Jesus Christ. And those, Lord, who come here celebrating, celebrate along with them with um, what is ahead. And those who come here looking for comfort, Lord, comfort them with the future that you have planned. God, meet us wherever we might be and however we might come. And do this through the power of your spirit because of the work of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things all in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you have read all the way through the scriptures? And I'm not trying to put anybody down. If you haven't read the whole Bible, actually, uh, you got a really good thing coming up. It's called January 1st, and that's where you can sort of make the resolution to maybe through the year, next year, read scriptures. If you're looking for a way to do that and a plan to do that, please get a hold of me. There's lots of plans out there and some that I have access to. I would love to, to encourage you to read all the way through the scriptures over the course of a year or whatever time that is. I've read through the scriptures more than a couple times, um, and I've read 
through them for a number of reasons. First of all, I read through them for personal edification and um, just to, to learn more about this really, really beautiful book. But um, when I was in seminary, I had to read through it for a different reason. We had what was called a Bible knowledge exam. And if you didn't pass the Bible knowledge exam, then you didn't pass seminary. And in order to pass this Bible knowledge exam, you had to get 120 out of 150, okay? There were 150 questions. You had to answer 120 of them correctly. I took the Bible knowledge exam. I think I took it in my first year because you can take it whenever you want. And there's, you just, they set up a time and you come into a room with whoever else is doing it and you fill it out. Um, I got, I think, 87 my first time around. Um, it didn't go well. And in part because this particular Bible knowledge exam was very particular, like name the psalm that this line happens in. And there are some lines that are pretty easy. Like if, if I said to you, um, where is the line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, you would say Psalm 23. I hope you would. Um, there are other passages, uh, there were other things like, um, name exactly which book this healing appears by itself. It doesn't appear in any other book. Or uh, name um, the place where Paul went in chapter, let's say, uh, 28, or not chapter 28, chapter 20 of Acts. Well, if you got to know the particulars, right? Well, I didn't. So I started reading the scriptures. And then the second time that I did it, I got a 98. Still wasn't there. And unfortunately, I was also in the classroom with some people who had taken it 10 times and not gotten it yet. So I was a little fearful that I was going to be limited in graduating from seminary by not being able to read, to pass this Bible knowledge exam. And finally, the last time, before I did it, I knew it was a month out. And so I woke up at 5 o'clock every morning. Kristen can remember this time. I got up at 5 o'clock every morning and opened my Bible in our living room and read through the entire scriptures in 30 days. Now, if you've ever done that or if you've ever tried to do that, that's a lot of reading. I was reading pretty much about a book and a half to two books a day. So read from Genesis 1 all the way through the end of the book of Exodus in a day. It's a lot of reading. And even then, I was missing things, and I learned that really quickly. But I got a 121. <laughs> third, time or third time's the charm. But in looking at the scriptures, we so often, as we read through them, we miss the little nuances. We miss the little things. And this past, actually two weeks ago when I wrote this message, I realized as I was studying this passage from Revelation chapter 22, that there were a couple really important things that as I had read it in the past, I'd missed. And I want to highlight for us this morning because they're really important things. And they're important challenges to us today, not just anticipating our future, but in terms of the sorts of activities and the things that we are about today. Let's dig into the scriptures together and learn. First, we're going to begin with chapter 22, verses 12 and 13. It says in the scriptures this, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. 
I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. Now, again, if you're reading well, if you're reading that first verse well, you should have some questions. It says there this, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And listen to this. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now, what word comes up when we think of that? What word should come up for us that gives us pause and asks us and forces us to ask a question? Anyone? The word that I think of is grace, right? Because grace says that you and I don't get according to what we have done, right? Grace says that God, through Jesus Christ, offers you and I a unique gift of salvation, regardless of how you and I have lived. Am I, am I right on that? That's what grace is, right? Read the verse again. I will give to each person according to what they have done. And that's right at the end of the book of the Bible. That's like parting shot, parting words. What do we do with that? What do you and I do with that? How do we think about it? That's a challenge. Does what you and I do in this world matter for what comes after? I think it does. I think it does. In fact, I know it does because it's right here. But we need to have the right understanding of that. See, here's how I think this looks. I think at the end of time, there are two judgments. And again, I'm on some theological exploration here. Let's call it that. Theological exploration. And you can question me on this. But I think there are two judgments that come. And the first judgment is based upon that really important word grace that says to us, okay, whether or not you welcome, are welcomed into, like we talked about last time, the city of God, this 1,400 mile square, actually cubed city, whether or not you are welcomed in is based upon what? That your name is written where? In the book of life. How does it get written in the book of life? Well, only through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the gateway. That's the first place. First judgment. But the second judgment is this. Are you thankful for getting in? Are you grateful for what God has given you? Are you grateful enough in this life to live into that gratitude in the world around you which is broken and fallen and desperately in need of the love of God? We hear from Jesus' own mouth, I go and prepare a place for you, right? What I wonder is if we live in gratitude, does that place change? Are those who live more deeply in gratitude are part of a, right here, bigger reward? Now that shouldn't motivate us and say, boy, I want a mansion. I want something that is at least 5,000 square feet in heaven to get my good spot. And I want to make sure it's right beside a cool fountain or the beach or whatever. It's not, that's not what should motivate us. What should motivate us is the fact that we're in. 
Through the grace of Jesus Christ, you and I have been given life and that for all eternity. And please hear me here. Getting in is not based upon how you and I act at all. That's grace. But what happens after that? This is where this passage comes in. I will give to each person according to what they have done. That's the reward for thanksgiving. And friends, that should motivate us then in the year ahead to ask the question, how thankful am I? And how much is that gratitude motivating me? Let's continue, 14 and 6 through 16. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. First judgment, okay? That's where it is. First judgment. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magical arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Those are the folks outside who are living in their sin because they do not have someone who has come and washed their sin. They have not lived into and experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, which also poses a big question, and you should be reading well here. Because we look at the book of Revelation and believe it is a useful document for teaching us. It gives us a picture of the hereafter that involves us on one side of a wall in the city of God and others outside. It doesn't mean, I don't even know if we can scale the walls and see out. There's some parables that might give us some questions there, but it does mean that I don't think it's going to look completely like this full and complete isolation from those who have fallen. I think we, in some ways, are going to be exposed to those who, what we call in theology, reprobate. In some way, to see what a gift we have been given so that our gratitude motivates us even more for all eternity to explore who God is and his love for us. Now, this is challenging, friends, and I'm challenged by this. Because the first time I read this scripture, I didn't catch it because we miss stuff so often when we read it. Does anybody remember a phrase that sounds like this? I love it when a plan comes together. Who's a child of the 80s? Who spoke those words? Anyone? Who was it? Hannibal Smith. Does anybody know who Hannibal Smith is? The A-team. I can't believe I'm using an A-team reference here in a sermon. The A-team was a television show in the 1980s. It was recreated into a movie in, I don't know, like 2008, 2009. It was a silly movie. Don't watch it. The TV show is silly. Don't watch it either. But when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, it was pretty awesome. And in this TV show at the time, there was always a plan that Hannibal would make, and this plan was always outrageous and crazy, and if you ever watch the 18, they shoot a lot of bullets, but nobody ever gets hurt. It's actually one of those things that I wish we had more of, that there was uh, less death and less blood and stuff like that. But these really complex plans would take all these different things coming together. And at the end, it would always work because it was an 80s uh, you know, action show and everything always worked in the 80s TV shows. And at the end, Hannibal would look, light a cigar, put it in his mouth and say those words, I love it when a plan comes together. I think that 
when we look at this whole idea of God's beginning creation, and however many, in my Bible it's 1,268 pages later, we get this passage. This is God's plan coming together in infinite complexity, in beautiful artistry, in surprising ways. In fact, I think, friends, that when we are in eternity forever, we will look around at what God has done and we will be surprised by who's there with us. Who else has been welcomed into the gates? Who else has been, in fact, probably given us, given a greater reward than we have because they've lived more deeply into thanksgiving to God? I think we will be surprised. Why? Because God sees us differently than we see ourselves and each other. And I want us to start the new year with those sorts of eyes. I want us to look around at the people in our lives who we perhaps have given up on. I want us to look around at the people in our lives who we've shared Jesus with them once but didn't think it caught, and so we haven't done it again. I want us, as God's people, to look around at a world which is significantly more complex than any sort of simplistic or easy answers that we want to give, and I want us to wonder what God is doing and where he is doing it, because as we look look at the end of the book, we see this incredibly complex plan that God has brought together, and we, it's not possible for us to get it. It's not possible for us to understand it. It's not possible for us to be able to name those who are there and those who are not. And the interesting thing was, is as we continue to study, and as we go through the rest of this passage, we're going to hear how important it is for us to be willing to be used by God to broadcast that gospel more because God might use us to bring those people that we already have written off into the kingdom so they can enter the gate and be a part of this great reward that he offers. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say come. Let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I'm going to read that whole verse again. Listen closely. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Okay. So let's walk through the personages here. Personages? Personages. Get it right. The spirit. Who's the spirit? Simple answer, folks. It's God, right? The spirit is God. It's part of the Trinity. The spirit is is part of the Godhead. It's God. Person one. Person two. Who's the bride? The church. All right? And what is the church supposed to do? What does it say there? It says the church is supposed to say, come. So it's not just God. It's not just God through his powerful grace and his incredible 
ability to orchestrate things and make things, uh, knit things together so that people come to faith. It's the spirit and the bride. It's the spirit and the church. So don't, I said it last week and I'm going to say it again. Don't you ever say, that's not my job. I play drums or play the bass or play the piano. It's not my job to bring people to the kingdom of God because that's my job. Don't ever let anyone tell you, hey, my job is to simply preach the word of God. It's not my job to go to my neighbors and share Jesus with them so that they come to the knowledge and the understanding of what grace is as God uses me. Don't ever say that I don't have the gift of evangelism. Don't ever do it, friends. Because it's still your and I responsibility because we are part of the bride. And as part of the bride, we, along with God, are the ones speaking the word to everyone around us saying, come. Come be a part of the kingdom. Come be a part of this beautiful city that will stand for all eternity. And Lord willing, your name will be written in the book of life. And the gate will be open to you. And you will drink deep from the water of life for all eternity. And experience the presence of the living God forever and ever. Friends, this is on us. This is on us. There was a time in the Reformed tradition, this church is a part of the Reformed tradition, there was a, part of the, there was a time in the Reformed tradition where we were Reformed fatalists, is what I call it, where we said these words, if someone is going to come to the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, God's going to do that and we can't do anything to change it. So we're not going to be involved. God will bring in the doors of this church whom God will bring in the doors of this church. He will bring those people into the kingdom of God. And we're just going to sing our little songs, pray our little prayers, listen to our little sermons, and do our thing. And unfortunately, that was a big part of the tradition of the Reformed faith. And God be praised, we've figured out that that's a really bad idea and really bad theology because it is. Our theology is to, I don't know, sounds good to me, go out and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. That sounds biblical, doesn't it? Go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know what that means? That means that you and I even sitting here for an hour, well, we're an hour and five minutes in, and depending on how long I go, hopefully we're not going to make it an hour and a half. We're going to sit here for however long we're going to sit here, but then get your keister out the door and go share Jesus. Seriously. Because that's the call. Part of the bride. Let's go. Let's that be our new year, new year's life, not a resolution. May that be our lives, everything that we do, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ so that somebody who walks in the door can never say, I haven't heard about Jesus. I haven't seen Jesus. I don't know what grace is. They may not have experienced grace, but we can certainly tell them what it is. And share with them the truth of how Christ will change their now and also their eternity. And then they can be a part of the work that we're doing in saying to the world, come. Come. 
come on in. The water of the fountain of life is warm. It's beautiful. And it changes everything for you now, and it changes your eternity. Come. Let's finish it out, 18 through 21. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Now, friends, as we finish this out, hear me here. The truth is important. And we live in a world where truth is negotiable. We live in a world where the truth of Scripture becomes open to interpretation, which it should. Let me, let me say that. Scripture has to be open to interpretation. That's why we are a Reformed church. We look at Scripture constantly and try to filter all the things that we see through the truth of Scripture. And as culture changes, how we see things can be changed and altered as long as it's in obedience to what Scripture teaches. It's, all Scripture is open to interpretation. But there are ways for us to interpret that well. And sometimes I see interpretations of Scripture and how we understand God's Word and God's truth, and I see some things that certainly give me pause, if not downright fear, in our Christian world. I see people who say that Scripture is, you know, more of a suggestion than the truth that it is. I hear people who um, use different words for how we understand faith and the church. Some of those things are good critiques and good criticisms. Some of them are not. But here is how we figure this stuff out. We do it together. We do it in the body of Christ. We do it as, even as I've said things this morning, there are at least eight people in this room who have direct input to me and can say, hey, Pastor Scott, we need to re rethink those things. Those are the eight elders of this church. They have a responsibility to keep what I'm saying from here in the truth of God's word. There are also eight deacons who do that in a different way, but certainly have an input into what it is that I speak and you do too. My email, let me make it clear, elgersmattherivercrc.com. If you've got questions, let's talk about it. Why? Because we want to be faithful to the Word of God. We want to understand it. We don't want to add anything to it, and we don't want to take away anything from it, because if we do, there's consequences, right? We see what those are, and frankly, I don't like them. So we do this together. We do this in even the larger picture of the great cloud of witnesses, other churches, other communities. It's part of the reason why we are part of a denomination, that we learn and understand things together, and we help get a deeper understanding of what God's Word is so that we keep that truth in the forefront of all things. And the beauty of it is, is that with that truth comes Christ's power. And as we learn, we gain more. It means that in this year ahead, perhaps one of the best things that you can do is read all of Scripture in the next year. 
Perhaps one of the best things that you can do is pick a passage or pick a book of scripture and dive deep. I'm going to recommend the book of Romans or the gospel of John. Those are good places to start. Even the beauty of Genesis and how we understand God's promises and covenant and starting his his people and, and bringing them to the cusp of what the promised land is all about. That's something for you to learn. Maybe that's your commitment because in learning more deeply what God's word says, you are exposed more deeply to the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can then live into that power in the world around you. Friends, as we learn more deeply what Scripture teaches and what its truth is, Christ's power lives in us more deeply so that the world can see it. And I love the last line. It was interesting. Glenn, who's on the camera this morning, made a point of saying to me that this is his favorite line of Scripture. Let's read that part together. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. It's the parting shot. It's how we end the whole book. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. That thing, that beautiful gift, grace, is the last word that God speaks to us in his word. He gives us this this glimpse of the thing that changes everything and then says to us, and it's for all of you. And I hope that that is something that you receive and understand that no matter where it is that you go, no matter how it is you do what you do, and in the people that you talk with and, and the way that you share Jesus, that you do so through the grace of Christ who equips you with his power to go out and do it. It's a wonderful way to end the story. But you know what? It's not the ending. Right? We know that at the end of the book of Revelation, there's something that comes after. It actually has a name. It's called eternity. And we still wonder to some degree, and I'm sure that I have not nearly given you enough to understand what comes after the end of the story. But it does continue. And here's what I do know. It continues not only with every person in this room who knows the grace of Jesus Christ, But everyone in this city who knows the grace of Jesus Christ and everyone in this state who knows the grace of Jesus Christ and nation and continent and world, but beyond that, it's also everyone through all time who has ever known the grace of Jesus Christ. And perhaps it even includes the whole universe. We'll see what God shows us as time continues. Perhaps there's other worlds that have been redeemed by Jesus. I don't know. But what I do know is that for all eternity in this city that I don't yet understand, but I do know it's beautiful, with all of God's people that I will live and dwell and work at understanding more deeply the love of God for all eternity. And frankly, that's something worth talking about. It's something worth sharing. And it's something worth speaking Because this world is but a glimpse. The next is the real thing. And you and I have glimpsed what the real thing is. And if we keep it to ourselves, then frankly, we're fools. I don't want to be a fool. 
My prayer for all of us is that in the year ahead, we don't live into foolishness, but live into the beauty of God through the grace of Jesus Christ to invite all, all that we know, with all of our lives, into that grace and see what he does next. Let's pray together. Father, you've given us this beautiful image of what the end of the story looks like. And we are reminded, Father, that we who know Jesus are a part of it. That in the picture that you've given us, we are united with you in a way that we can't even begin to understand yet. And that gift is, it's going to be beyond explanation. It's going to be beyond, be beyond our capacity But we do know, Lord, that it's greater than being outside the gate. Lord, may we be faithful in living into the obedience to share the truth of your love with the world around us to those who may right now be classified as outside the gate so that, Lord, through your grace and the power of your love, their their reality might be transformed so that we are joined with them for all eternity. Lord, we, we don't understand completely how that whole reward thing works, but we do, Lord, long to, with our lives, live into that thanksgiving for what you've given to us. Live into that gratitude in such a way that, Lord, we are faithful. And in our faithfulness, Lord, maybe, maybe someone's life can be changed. Maybe our neighbor. Maybe that family member. Maybe our teacher or a student. Maybe our classmate. Maybe our coworker. Maybe our teammate. Lord, someone might be changed because your love has so much power. It has power to change us. Lord, may we be faithful in allowing that power to change others. This is work that you and you alone can do through the power of your spirit. We pray you do it in us. In Jesus' name, amen.